Stephanie went straight upstairs to her bathroom and I collapsed on the couch. Whew. Grateful to be off my feet, peace and quiet. And then, mom, I think I need help. My eyes were drawn to Stephanie's left arm. Blood was dripping off her fingers onto the floor. The emotional part of my brain started screaming at the sight of my bleeding, obviously suicidal child. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. In mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness. Self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others. Essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hope to Recharge. Thank you for joining me here again today. We are continuing in March speaking about teen awareness of mental health how to talk to our children, how to notice struggles in our children, what to do when we find out that they are struggling. Today, I'm speaking with Jackie Simmons. She's the co-founder of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. She started it about a year ago, and she tells us the story in this episode of what made her start this society with her three daughters. She's coming out with her TEDx speech about her daughter's story and many suicide attempts. In this episode, we're going to discuss what was it like to stay in silence for 20-something years while her daughter was attempting suicides numerous amount of times, medication, psychiatry, psychology, in and outpatient hospitalizations, everything. And her daughter was suffering in silence. And Jackie, as the mom, was ashamed to speak to her daughter about it or to talk to anybody about it. She said she would talk to anybody about anything but suicide. She's here to change that. She's here to help other parents. She's here to educate teachers, parents, adults, how to have the conversations with our children, how to talk about suicide with comfort, how to have that conversation without having shame, without having fear, but to educate our children. It's a fascinating conversation in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with Mr. Gurari, I highly recommend that episode as well. He talks about his daughter, how she died by suicide, and how much he helped her time after time again. If you know someone that is struggling with a teen that's going through mental health crises or challenges, forward this episode to them. You might give them comfort and you might even save a life. Before we start with this week's episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to this amazing new podcast that I'm following. If you are here because you like listening to mental health podcasts, self-help podcasts, you want to follow this new podcast by the name of Happy Brain with Heather Parody. It's a mental health podcast. They're short episodes, 7 to 15 minutes, tips on how to hack our brain and how to create a happier brain without all these deep, analytic, long conversations. Anything with Heather Parody is funny. It's light. It's authentic. It's fun to listen to. So if you're into self-help and you want something like a tip of the week, a thought of the week, 
go to Happy Brain. You can find them on all the podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, you'll find it everywhere. Happy Brain, go download it, follow them, you will not regret it. It's really a fun, upbeat way to start your day. My first TEDx coach called me out. He said, your script is tactical and it's not vulnerable. And that was at the beginning of 2020. So a little over a year ago. He said, Jackie, you have the potential to do something significant with this stage. And so you have to get from tactical to vulnerable. And so I did. And he was like so thrilled. And then my stage got canceled or postponed. Right. Because the world turns in mysterious ways, I ended up with a different coach getting me ready for January of 2021. And the closer we got to the end of 2020, the more we got into December, the more I hated my script. Wow. I hated it. It was back to being formulaic and the adult learning style. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. In the classroom, <laughs> it didn't work for me. I love, can you repeat that? That was so tell funny. Tell them what you're going to tell them, <laughs> then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. That is hysterical. That is hysterical. That's how most things are scripted. And most of the time it doesn't bother me, but if I'm the one speaking, this bothered the hell out of me. Right. And so I reached out to someone in one of my other mastermind groups. And I'm like, you've organized TEDx speeches before, you know, or events. Will you read this? Will you give me your opinion? And he got back to me and he said, the content is good, but it's not going to inspire anybody. And I'm like, yeah, it didn't inspire me. And that's my definition of sales, by the way. You, you sell yourself on yourself first. You inspire yourself first or nobody will want to buy from you. Wow. And, and so I couldn't even sell myself on my own TEDx script. It was not pretty. I started doing some really advanced mindset work with some very cutting edge technology. I asked my friend, would you coach me? Would you help me? So three weeks, actually less than three weeks. Yes, less than three weeks before my TEDx stage, we ripped my script down to the bare bones and rebuilt it on story, not on a formula, oh, but on story. And it was a personal story. It was a very personal story. So I went from statistics, which was my first script, to I don't want to talk about it. And that's how I was beginning my talk. I don't want to talk about it. It's a pretty good hook to what I stood on the stage in January of 2021 and said, in the next 24 hours, over 3,000 American teenagers will attempt to take their own lives. 17 will die. What a powerful statement. Those numbers are actually before COVID. We don't even know what the numbers are today. Those numbers are from 2019. We don't know what the numbers are today because real-time data is not easily accessible. And that's part of the mission behind the Teen Suicide Prevention Society that I ended up founding with my daughters, co-founding with my daughters. The ability to be able to say with absolute certainty, that the silence on this topic is killing us. It's deadly. All right, so the short story. In 1995, it's June. My kids are just beginning summer vacation. They're in middle school and high school. We are a stable middle-class American family. Three daughters. Three daughters. And they're getting ready to go visit their dad for, and his family for the summer one state away. You know what that means. This means shopping. My daughter, Stephanie, is 14. She's in between her two sisters. She's in between schools and she's in between clothing sizes. The shopping became an adventure. Outfit after outfit, store after store, nothing fit her. And at the end of the day, we came home with nothing except an attitude. 
Stephanie went straight upstairs to her bathroom and I collapsed on the couch. Grateful to be off my feet, peace and quiet. And then, mom, I think I need help. My eyes were drawn to Stephanie's left arm. Blood was dripping off her fingers onto the floor. The emotional part of my brain started screaming at the sight of my bleeding, obviously suicidal child. The rational part of my brain started flipping through files in my head, looking for the date of her last tetanus shot. Have you ever been panicky and calm at the same time? Wow. I wrapped her in my arms and assessed the wounds. They weren't life-threatening. We applied bandages and decided that tomorrow we would go and visit the local teen mental health facility. Later, the tears finally stopped. The mutual I'm sorry's were shared and she slept. I couldn't risk being away from her. So we were sleeping in the living room and between us, her handwritten note, her promise not to harm herself again while I slept. Yeah, right. Like I was going to close my eyes that night. All night, I stared into the darkness and my thoughts swung between what just happened? How the hell did this happen? Was it the first time that she cut herself? Mm. And who's to blame? It had to be somebody's fault, didn't it? After that night, what followed? Counseling, therapy, medications, interventions, hospitalizations, and 13 more attempts. Wow. And how long? As long as she was getting professional help, I convinced myself we didn't need to talk about it. After all, why bring it up again? Why? The truth is, I'll ask you the question. Would you want to know what would cause your child so much mental and emotional pain that they thought dying was better than living? I didn't want to know. So I didn't ask. And the silence lasted for over 23 years. Wow. Wow. So when she was 14 was the first time you saw signs, but she was probably struggling earlier in silence. Yeah. It was really interesting because when I went to write my TEDx script and my coach final, my final coach was like, what was that day like? You have to take us there. And I don't remember what that day was like. Yeah. It was just a day. Right. He says, can you ask your daughter? And I'm like, gulp. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can ask my daughter. And so I reached out to her and I'm like, Stephanie, I feel really bad. I don't remember. And she said, mom. I don't either. It was the shopping. Oh. She remembered exactly. And she was embarrassed because it was something so small as the shopping that day that tipped her from being emotionally in pain to being in too much pain to live. Because the misnomer, here's a myth, people who attempt to die by suicide, whether they die or not, they're not looking to die. They just can't figure out how to live. Or they want to stop the pain and they don't know otherwise. They just don't know how to live with the pain. Yeah. It's not that they want to die. It's not a fascination with death. It is literally the only option they can see in that moment. And by the way, that's the reason we do anything in our lives. When people say, why did you do that? I'm like, duh. The answer is because it seemed like the best idea at the time. You want to know why someone attempts to take their own lives? Because in that moment, it seems like the best idea at the time. What do we try to get people to do? We try to get them to pause. The challenge is, If your prefrontal cortex, the rational part of your brain is not fully developed, which means you're under the age of 25, maybe under the age of 30, depends on who you talk to. Is that true that until 25, it's not fully developed? Oh, yeah. See, we're not born with a prefrontal cortex. It builds out by the age of 12, 13, Mm -hmm. and then it develops by the age of 24. Oh, yeah. This is not rocket science. This is science. Mm. It's not magic. The bottom line is we treat people as if they're adults, but they don't have this cognitive ability to put a pause button. The reason teens are so impulsive is because they don't have this part of their brain developed yet. Mm -hmm. 
but we treat them like they're supposed to be adults. And it's because we don't, we're not taught that our teens don't have a rational part of their brain. You know, there's a whole misnomer in this whole culture. We give them the right to vote at 18. This is so irrational in my mind. We give them the right to drink at the age of 18 or 21. And yet we know scientifically their brains are not fully developed until they're 25. Oh, by the way, and we give them the right to handle a life-ending piece of machinery at age 16. It's called driving. A car. <laughs> a it's car. A car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've got this whole eight-year gap. They can drive something that is lethal, a car, at age 16. And yet we know their brains are not fully developed until they're 24 or more. Interesting. Interesting. Can I ask you a question? Oh, sure. Which I'm sure you did a lot of research in the last few years, 20 something years, right? There is a difference between cutting because you want to feel pain and suicide attempts. And there's a big difference. And many people tell me I cut just because I wanted to feel that I'm feeling. I had no desire to attempt suicide. How did you know at the time that she wasn't cutting just in order to cut and she was cutting for suicide? She knew. I didn't have to know. She was trying to end her life. It's a matter of intent. Mm -hmm. Is someone harming themselves to end a pain or are they harming themselves to end their life? Here's how I know. Remember, we didn't talk about it until August the 3rd, 2019, Mm -hmm. when Stephanie, now 37, broke the silence. 37. From 14 to 37, four years. She's living in science, literally hiding it from the world, hiding it, mm-hmm. doesn't talk yes. about it, nothing. No blog, no post, no friends, nothing. It was a very well-kept secret in the family. The morning of her talk was sunny and already warm. The hotel was on the outskirts of Sarasota, Florida. I walked into the conference room and greeted the 12 speakers who I had taught to deliver messages that matter. I'm super proud of Stephanie. She looks amazing. She's got it on a dark blouse and a flowery skirt and her hair is pulled back in combs. And she's first up on the roster and everything worked. The microphone, the PowerPoint, the projector, the videographer was there. The audience was taking their seats and the lights dimmed. And I welcomed her to the front of the room. Everyone help me welcome Stephanie Ashton. She confidently walked up and shook my hand and started with over 3,000 teenagers will attempt to take their own lives today in the US. I'm in the back of the room and I'm shocked for two reasons. One, because I have no idea the numbers at large. And two, because I didn't know suicide was her topic. What did you think she was talking about? I thought she was going to tell one of her never quit stories from high school or college or the fact that she's got a chronic illness. She has an a inspirational talk. Yeah. Gen- quit stories. Right. Okay. And I had said to her, it doesn't matter which one. They're all good. You'll rock this. So she oh, shocked yeah. you to your core just with the, as well as the audience. And then she said, when I was 14, after a bad day of shopping, I stood in my bathroom. The pain of not fitting into any clothes was just more proof that I didn't fit in anywhere. Wow. And that pain was more than I could bear. I took a razor and cut into my left arm, trying to end the pain and my life. And I'm in the back of the room, feeling the blood drain from my face, shocked at her reveal. She kept talking. She continued with, it wasn't my only attempt. There were others, but outside of professional help, I've never really talked about it, especially not with mom. And I talked about other things, but we didn't talk about suicide. It was too awkward, too painful. Mom and I had the talk about sex. And mom and I had the talk about drugs and mom and I had the talk about alcohol. And then I went to college on a dry campus. Oh, that means the kegs were hidden in the girls' dorm in the showers. But we didn't talk about suicide. I'm in the back of the room and I go from pale to bone 
Cole. No. As I realized the struggles that she had faced alone because I didn't have the courage to have the talk about suicide. Trust me, only 30 years of stress management training kept me from just crawling into a corner and bawling. Have you ever been hijacked by bad memory? That's what happened in that moment. Stephanie wound up her talk with, on my suicide avoided journey, I've learned tons of coping skills. Now I want to teach these skills to teenagers before they need them. Yes, before they need them. There's not a dry eye in the house. The audience gives her a standing ovation. I wanted to say she probably got the standing ovation, right? Some of them rushed up and hugged her and thanked her for being so brave and so vulnerable and so willing. I'm in the back of the room, frozen. Yeah. Totally torn between pride for her bravery and guilt and shame for my cowardice. And then it hit me. Wow. 3,000 teens attempt to take their own lives every day. This means 6,000 parents start to live the guilt nightmare that I'd lived. Mm. This means over 20,000 grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters start to live the guilt nightmare. Oh my God. This means hundreds of thousands of classmates, teachers, boyfriends, girlfriends, and neighbors start to live the guilt nightmare that I'd lived probably all just as blindsided by it as I had been. And then I wondered, what if Stephanie was right? What if the key to ending teen suicide or any suicide was as simple as having the talk about suicide before they need it, before your loved one starts to struggle with suicidal thoughts? Oh my God, simple? So simple and obvious that the professionals have tripped over it. Simple and obvious, like putting wheels on luggage or putting ketchup in squeezable bottles. Simple. What happened after that day in August, 2019, (laughs) Stephanie and I started to work together. Who knew that would be possible? Along with her sisters, we co-founded the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. And what we learned through our studies is that suicide prevention is not about intervention. Hmm. And it's not about waiting for signs. And it's not what people think it is. It's prevention. It's about having the talk about suicide before you think they need it. Think about it logically. We don't wait until our kid's pregnant to have the talk about sex. We don't wait until our kid's in rehab to have the talk about drugs and alcohol. Why are we waiting for a sign to have the talk about suicide? It makes no sense, except there's so much stigma. Is it the stigma? That's what I'm I'm wondering. It is absolutely. Is it it our fear as a- The first rule is the stigma. The second rule is the fear. The fear as a parent, if I talk to them about it, they're going to have a thought in their mind and I'm going to introduce something that they could be event avoided. So why bring up a topic that they might go through life not needing to know about? Exactly. And that's the thought that was running through my head. I was so scared of putting the thought back into my daughter's head that we didn't talk about it. The challenge with that is I left her alone to deal with her thinking. But parents are going to say, what if my child is a happy-go-lucky? There's no sign of uh-huh. mental illness. There's no right. sign of yeah, yeah, struggle. Yeah. Okay. And Why? if you're waiting for a sign, you're going to find out what I found out, which is the first sign is often an attempt. Too and late. They don't, they don't all survive. Yeah. Many parents tell me they're happy-go-lucky. I would never know. I didn't think mm-hmm. they were a clown. They had the, they had, oh, they yeah. were always making everybody happy. They were mm-hmm. the joy of the class. We yeah. didn't know they were struggling. That's right. Because depression, anxiety, suicide ideation, all of these things are a naturally occurring part of the brain. It's part of our natural problem-solving skills. The challenge is when we can't talk about them and we can't talk about them because of our cultural memes that says 
not my kid. My kid doesn't have a mental illness. And because my kid can't be depressed, my kid's doing okay. I was a divorced mom. I was a single parent. I had so many red flags that my kids could be in trouble, but I absolutely sold myself. And this is what most people do because this is the reticular activating system saying confirmation bias. We're okay. We're okay. We're okay. So the brain starts to look for evidence that we're okay and it discounts. I also think that parents are in survival. You're a single parent. You're working hard. You're putting out the fires. The flames are burning high. So why would I bring up something that it's not so obvious? I'm going to just survive the day. We'll see how tomorrow Mm -hmm. goes. Yep. That's part of it. It's all part of it. Mm -hmm. The reality is that we're not taught how to have mental and emotional conversation. Mm -hmm. We're not taught how to be resilient on these two topics. What we're taught how to do is hunker down and keep going, okay? That's what we're taught. And and let's face it, we've had a whole year as a culture of hunkering down and keeping going. And we're suffering the consequences of that. When I wake up in the morning and the first news broadcast is on the National Broadcast Corporation, NBC, and they're talking about the watchdog software that some schools are starting to employ to try to catch the kids net surfing for words that indicate they're at risk. Wow. Oh, you haven't heard of this? It's wow. It's a bunch of names for it and school systems are buying into it. And we've got two issues now. One, we've got the fact that the schools have taken on the role of being the watchdog for our kids on their surfing and suicidal thinking. That's one issue. The other side of the coin is now we've got total invasion of privacy. Yeah. And where do you want to go? Do you want to go on privacy or do you want to go on safety? And this has been the dilemma for decades. You know, am I, and do I want individual freedom or do I want safety? They're, they're arguing with this on dating sites now. This was on the news yesterday. Are dating sites allowed to share if somebody that has a profile and they've got a history of violent crime, crimes against humanity, if you will. You know, and that's the worst card game ever invented. The idea is we've got this argument going on in our heads and in our society as in, yes, we want to keep people safe and we don't want to invade their privacy. Just because somebody made a bad decision 20 years ago, does that have to haunt them forever? And so we've got both of these arguments and they are happening right now. This is not yesterday's news. This is what I heard this morning. Okay. The reality is if every individual was engaged just a little bit more in getting to know, like, and trust themselves, we wouldn't have these conversations. We wouldn't need them. Just a little bit more knowing, liking, and trusting myself. That makes me a little more immune to the narrative going on in the community. That makes me a little less reactive to other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. And when other people's opinions, judgments, and expectations no longer affect me, I can create the life I want. I think that's true unless there's like a, a real disconnect in the brain that is a chemical imbalance, right? I was just on an airplane watching a documentary on this. And they say that Robin Williams died from suicide, but he really died from a brain injury that was creating phobias and fears and just eating away at the brain. And there was no one knew it at the time, but they saw his behavior change quickly. There are a bunch of stories around Robin Williams, including the fact that he had been diagnosed with a condition that was stealing his brilliance on stage. Whatever created this condition where he decided that dying was better than living. Right. The reality is that we do things, our why for doing things is because in that moment, it seems like the best idea at the time. The reality is, is that if we could pause for 60 seconds, we could have a new thought. And that's if the brain allows us to pause. Some brains don't allow us. That's why I said, if we can pause, 
Okay. So all of the training that we do within the Teen Suicide Prevention Society is on building the mental emotional resilience that allows us to pause. Mm. See, we're going after the root cause. I like that. I the like root that. cause is not to diagnose what could be creating these thoughts that make dying seem better than living. We go after the root cause. What if you had the ability to pause? But what if a teenager doesn't want to pause? They don't know whether or not they want to pause. It's about whether or not they have the ability to pause. So let's say a teenager. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to just go there with you because this is an upfront and honest conversation. I interviewed Aaron Huey on my on the suicide prevention show. That's my summit that I hold six times a year. And there was a young man who threw himself in front of a semi. And in the emergency room with his crushed pelvis, he's talking to a psychologist going, this isn't me, I don't know what happened. And most people would have just discounted and thought he had some kind of mental illness. But this psychologist dug a little deeper. And what they found out is that day he had a chemical reaction. There was a chemical reaction between his acne medication and the pot he was smoking. Wow. And it caused this mental break and the behavior of throwing himself in front of a semi. That is freaky. If it had been anybody else in the ER that day who didn't dig as deep, we wouldn't know that there's a potential of a chemical reaction between acne medication and pot. Now we know these things are potentially brain altering. And the problem is that everything is potentially brain altering. We don't know where we're going to get a chemical reaction. So the problem is not the problem that we need to be looking at. In my opinion, get your eyes off of all of that argument about what causes what and get to how do we build in a pause button for everybody? How do we up your level of mental and emotional resilience so that you can handle whatever comes at you? Even if it's a chemical imbalance caused even, by- Even if it's, even if it's a chemical imbalance, you what, can yes. prevent it? How? Absolutely. You can build the mental and emotional resilience to have a pause button no matter what's going on. That's our theory. Now, how will we prove it? We're going to raise the mental and emotional resilience in the world. Why is now the time? Because six months ago, our corporation started talking about the upcoming mental health tsunami. Right. Among employees who are dealing with the stresses of e-learning for their kids, remote yeah. learning yeah. and working at home yeah. and not knowing if they're yeah. ever going to go back to the office and not having a social support system yeah. and not and lost and, 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 right. and corporate America knew that there was an upcoming mental health tsunami and the mental health community is totally unprepared for this. How do I know? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. I interviewed the suicide guy. This is the director of the Suicide Institute in New York City. He works with the mental health clinical workers, the people on the streets, helping them to understand how to deal with suicide and suicidal thoughts. Because there's not enough training. There's not enough understanding. There's this whole mythology about suicide that is erroneous. The reality is, according to Freud, suicidal thoughts are normal. They're part of the natural problem-solving abilities of the brain. They're part of our worst-case scenario mechanism. They are there for a reason. They can spur problem-solving if we let it. But what have we learned? We've learned to be afraid of the thought. What happens when you're afraid of something? Suppress it. You try not to think about it. That's like me asking you, don't think about an elephant. What happens? You get an image of an elephant. So if you've got a suicidal thought, you've got a, I can't take this anymore kind of thought. We all have them. That's normal. But you become afraid of it. And so you don't talk about it. And then if it comes back up, you try to push it down. When you try not to think about something, you're actually doubling down on it. 
and your brain, your subconscious mind notices. What is your subconscious mind designed to do? Get you what's important. How does it know what's important? It's what you're thinking about that has emotion behind it. The more you try to suppress something out of fear, the more your subconscious mind thinks you want it. Mm -hmm. So your subconscious mind starts to develop a plan. And then all it takes is for subconscious plan to cross opportunity. Wow, I love that analogy. And then this is why in America, our tax dollars are going to install jump nets on bridges because there's no pause button. Subconscious plan crosses opportunity. You pull your car over, you go and you jump. Now, adults, it's different. An adult who jumps off a bridge, you look in their car. All their clothes are folded up. There's a letter. They've got a plan. It is subconscious plan crosses opportunity. There's no prefrontal pause button and they're gone. Most teenagers that attempt or die by suicide don't leave a note or anything? Some of them do. So I can't say most. My own experience with all the people I've worked with, one out of 10 paused long enough to leave a note. Mm -hmm. Some of them pause long enough to clean out their phones. Mm -hmm. So there's no trace of who they've been talking to. Right. Some of them pause long enough to send a text message to their families. How's your daughter now? Mentally, pretty good. Physically, she ended up at you know, that college with the kegs hidden in the showers of the dorm of the girls' dorm. Yeah, that college was in Southern Maryland and she got bitten by a tick back before anybody knew what Lyme disease was. Mm-hmm. So while we were dealing with all of the mental health things, she ended up with a mystery, a medical mystery. And nobody back then knew Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Nine and a half years later, a country doctor diagnosed her. Wow. But by then she had neurological challenges from the Lyme. Wow. And so Lyme, not Lyme's, Lyme, Lyme disease claimed a good hunk of her adulthood the same way that mental health took away a lot of her childhood. Wow. She's alive. My God, she's married. Who knew that she could end up with a life because after 14 suicide attempts and then a do not resuscitate order because the chronic pain was so bad, but she's still here. And she was here long enough to give a talk that launched a mission. And the mission that we're on is to make suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. Because here's what's true. It's already a thing, but most parents don't know it. Is your goal to bring it to to kindergarten? Like how old do we start talking about it? You probably did all the research. What's too young to to even bring up this conversation and where is the right time? I'm going to give you two numbers. The first number is that according to the Center for Disease Control, the youngest child who intentionally took their own life was six years old. Yeah. I've partnered with a company that does neuro gamification Mm -hmm. of emotional intelligence training that works for children as starting at the age of three. So that's where I think we could start. As in now, whatever age your kid is, now is the right time to start. And these resources are free and they're part of the society. That's why the Teen Suicide Prevention Society was formed because people don't know where to go. They don't even know that they need to go. They don't know that there's a different conversation they could be having with their kids than what they had, than what their parents had with them. They just don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that I had absorbed my mom's limiting beliefs about money until I was in my 40s and she shared a story with me. Yeah, I didn't know. We don't know what we absorbed through our skin growing up as far as belief systems. We don't know what our kids absorbed through their skin growing up as far as belief systems. The only thing I know for sure is that we all need more. We all need more emotional intelligence. We all need more mental and emotional resilience. We all need more positivity. And those are the resources that the society is dedicating. And by the way, we're called T-SPINs, Teen Suicide Prevention Society, T-S-P-S, T-SPINs. Did you start this alone, the society? With my daughters. A year ago? Yes. During COVID? 
we actually got the idea after we wrote a book called Make It a Great Day, The Choice is Yours. And that book was designed to help teens. It's full of inspirational stories. It's designed to help teens start this conversation. But we realized that book was not enough. And so on January the 1st, we got our corporation seal mm -hmm. and the nonprofit was formed January 1st, 2020 the very beginning of COVID. We were paddling as fast as we could to get ahead of the wave of teen suicide. It's as if God put you on earth and created this before COVID, like he bought this society before COVID comes that it can hold what's going to be falling apart maybe or to support. We can't, we, we've been, we were paddling to get ahead of the wave. It's not a wave anymore. It's a full-fledged tsunami. And we can't do this alone. We need everyone to be willing to break the silence and have the talk. Break the silence, have the talk. We've got a four-step script for everybody that is designed to work with the brain the way the brain is designed that specifically tells you when intervention is necessary that actually builds mental and emotional resilience in both the teen and you. It's a script, it's science-based, it's short, it's simple. And all we want people to do is join the society. Let us give you the suicide risk assessment. Let us give you the mitigation, the know, like, and trust factor assessment so you can mitigate your risk factors. Mm. Let us give you the four-step script and give you the support of trained advocates so that you've got someone to practice the script with before you sit down and talk with your kid or your parent or your spouse or whoever it is in your life that you need to have this conversation with. Mm -hmm. But you convince yourself that you're not sure. So you don't. We can't afford to wait. We can't afford to wait for there to be signs, to wait for us to think that there's a risk factor, to wait for there to be some reason to have the talk. The reason to have the talk about suicide is because they're still breathing. That's the reason. In this society, when people join it, are there professionals on the staff that guide you? Because people are going to say, who, am I, who are we learning from? We want to know that it's coming from textbooks, from professionals. So who's backing up this society? I've got 30 years in stress management. That's my field. Mm. This is what I've been doing for three decades. And we've partnered with a totally vetted mental health organization that does free and anonymous assessments for depression and anxiety. So that's part of the society. And we have the trained advocates. These are the people who are very well versed in this simple conversation. And this conversation was born out of NLP, transformative mediation. Oh, by the way, I'm a mediator by training, not meditation, mediation. Mm -hmm. And I don't do court ordered mediation. I'm interested in mediating the conversation that goes on behind your eyes and between your ears. That's where I've spent all of my time. Self-mediation. Self-mediation. With between myself and I. That's right. Let's get you talking between me, myself and I. Let's get us all talking there so that you're aware of what's happening in here. Mm -hmm. This is where success is born. And this is where depression is born. It is, yes, it's a biochemical state. And yes, sometimes you need chemical intervention. Trust me, I survived two bouts of clinical depression in my adulthood. And here's what I know. The fear of falling back into the, that black hole was almost as bad as the depression itself. Absolutely. So we talk about what do you need to not be afraid anymore? Those are the skills we focus on. We focus on pure prevention. If you need intervention, we put you in with intervention specialists. Mm -hmm. I'm not an intervention specialist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. What I am is a stress management consultant, a transformative mediator, a certified somatic intuitive trainer, an ohashiatsu practitioner. Both of those are energy arts. I'm certifiable. I have lots of certifications. Why? Because I was going on this journey to solve this problem for me and for my family. And when I became depression free, 
And I've been without needing any medications for managing my moods since we're talking 17, 18 years now. What do I know? That whatever you need to get you stable is what you need to get you stable. And there is no shame in this game. You get yourself stable and then you learn the skills to build mental and emotional resiliency. And if you don't, if you're not in an acute state, you don't need intervention, great. Let's get you started on building the skills of mental and emotional resiliency before you need them. Let's just back you away from an edge you don't even know you're near. Mm-hmm. You know, I just published another article that says, if you're standing on the ledge, lean back. You know, we're here to catch you and we'll connect you with the resources. Most parents are so afraid of asking for intervention. The last thing they want to do is call 911 in America, the emergency alert. We're not talking a suicide prevention hotline here where you can talk to somebody. We're talking intervention at the 911 level where the police and the ambulance show up at your house and your kid goes into the medical machine mm-hmm. of mental health. I don't wish that on any parent, but I'll tell you what is more important. What's more important is that you realize that if you're not willing to deal with the fact that your kid might hate you for intervening, you better be willing to deal with the grief of them being gone. Yeah. You might save their life even if they hate you. You get to choose as a parent, but nobody told me I would ever have to choose that. Nobody warned me about this. I didn't get any, there was not an extracurricular class in high school. Right. All right. I missed this. Whatever day there was this training on how to be an effective parent in this day and age, I missed it. I clepped it that day. That was probably the day I cut school. I did cut school one day, by the way. The reality is no one prepared us for this. And here we are. We're not all in the same boat. All of our families are different, but we are all in the same storm. Mm-hmm. That's what my daughter Stephanie says. We're not in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm. What a beautiful saying and quote and and insightful. Yeah. Does she still have suicidal thoughts or she doesn't share that with you? Oh, she stood up in August 2019 and shared the fact that she still struggles with suicidal thoughts today. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that then that suicidal thoughts are a normal part of our brain's problem-solving capacity. It's only when we're afraid of them that they become a problem. So we created a tool, which is part of what people get when they join the society. The tool is the Why Not Workbook. Mm -hmm. And it helps people understand how the brain really works and how to work with the brain. Because everything we're taught about positive psychology and about affirmations and all of this misses one little critical piece. You can't do it for somebody. So if you're talking to somebody and they're having a down day and you start talking to them about, but isn't it wonderful? Look at the sun is shining. The minute you do that, you have disconnected from them as a human being Mm -hmm. and you're protecting yourself. It is an incredibly selfish act to try to tell somebody to feel something different than what they feel. But because we're not trained how to be present for other people's emotions. We're not trained in empathy. We're taught to protect ourselves from what's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I'm about to change that dynamic. I think I'm bringing together the experts who have the tools, who have the skills, who are like, here, let's get you so primed in positivity that other people's emotions don't stick to you. Let's get you so well-versed in the language of emotional intelligence that you can have an emotionally intelligent conversation with a three-year-old. Let's get you so pumped up with positivity, so mentally and emotionally resilient in your own right that other people's judgments, opinions, and expectations stay just that other people's and when i can get you there you will have the job that's the right job for you you will have the family that is balanced that you enjoy spending time with and you will take care of yourself without effort that's the legacy of going on this journey we call it suicide prevention nobody wants to do that because they don't want to talk about suicide so we call it pure prevention We call it stigma-free 
solutions because you don't need a diagnosis to access our programs. And that's the problem with most suicide prevention programs out there now. You have to have a defined mental health condition or a at-risk label before those programs are available. I think that's just wrong. So all of our programs are pure prevention programs. They are totally stigma-free. You don't need a diagnosis. You don't need anything other than, I want to know more. And if somebody wants to know more, they can find out more. We just got the landing page done this morning for the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. Is it live? Mm -hmm. TeenSuicidePreventionSociety.com is where people can come into the society and start to get all of these tools. Now, we're a nonprofit, so we do have TeenSuicidePreventionSociety.org. And that's if people just want to make a donation. They're not looking to come in and get any training. They just want to support the mission. They can go there. We would honestly rather have them in the society. We'd rather have your support and your presence than your money. I can't tell you how many parents call me when they're at dire moments. And I've been thinking to call you. Should I call you? My friend told me to call you. My neighbor told me, I heard your podcast. My daughter's friend heard your podcast. My son told me the other day, he said, a student in my school heard me, heard that at your, you do a mental health podcast and they came to me and they asked me if they can speak to you. And they're all asking the same question. I found out that my child, my sister my, is suffering. What do I do next? They're lost. Mm-hmm. Do we go to the hospital? Do we send them into a home? Do we give them medication? They're mm-hmm. lost and they've at despair. And this, the thing that I keep on hearing from parents over and over and over, I feel alone in this world. Ashamed, alone, the ramification for my family, the ramification for my child. I'm in the dark. I can't put a post, oh, my daughter attempted suicide. My brother just confided with me. My sister, my nothing. My best friend. They feel alone. alone. And they're stuck and they don't know how to help. They don't know what to do. And they're running to doctors, spending thousands and thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. getting multiple opinions and they're lost and in despair. And yesterday I published an episode from a father that said, after so many years of trying everything, exactly the list that you gave, the hospitalization, psychiatry, psychology, treatment, inpatient, outpatient, everything, it still didn't work. Why? Hmm? Why? It doesn't work because they're not addressing the problem. They're not looking deep enough and they can't. They're not trained to. Most mental health professionals are not trained to deal with suicide ideation. Mm -hmm. They're certainly not trained to deal with the isolation of COVID and what I'm calling the COVID compression, Mm -hmm. because it's like we're in this COVID cocoon and we came in as caterpillars and everything is changing. Just like in a real cocoon, the whole structure has to break down. So everything is breaking down inside the cocoon, but we've been in here so long that now the cocoon is shrinking. And the pressure is starting to expose cracks. Nobody was prepared for this. The mental health community, this mental health machine, this medical machine, this model was not prepared to deal for this. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the services that you thought you could rely on are not able to help you because they didn't know how to do, they don't know how to deal with this either. Right. It's not their fault. What is there for you that you don't know is there for you are societies. I'm not the only society out there. I'm not the only group out there. What we are is the mesh. We're the mesh. We've got the mental health professionals and the assessments and even mental health professional guided groups. So those are available that are totally anonymous. Why? Because some of us live in states that have a three-day hold. We call it must report. And in some states, it's called the Baker Act. It has different names in different states. But what it means is that if you're a professional and someone tells you they have suicidal thoughts, you have to report them. What does that mean? Armed guards, security guards come and escort them to a mental health holding facility for three days or 72 hours until they can be evaluated by a professional. How many of us can banish out of our lives for three days without repercussions? This is one of the reasons why we don't talk about it. We're afraid of the laws that are designed to protect us. 
And not only that, if we report someone, we're afraid, what if they get upset at us that they were vanished for three days out of their lives? And they'll, and what if it wasn't a, another, what if it wasn't a real suicide? This is why I created the four step script mm-hmm. because it's designed to tell parents when intervention is needed. It's designed to tell anyone you can use this with anybody in your life. And you can and get it. it at, sorry. Yeah. 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 What? Go ahead. You can get all this on your website? Nope. You get this when you join the society. And when you yeah. join the society on yeah. the website that you just quoted before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? The, link, the link will be in the show notes and you get all the resource there. You're going to join and it's just growing and growing. And you were telling me that it's uh, worldwide, right? Oh, yes. We, we're working with youth groups in Liberia and in Kenya. We're working with a community center in Nairobi, which is part of Kenya. The ability to impact this is culturally driven. It's, it depends on where they are. In Nairobi, simply by being able to provide these kids with porridge in the morning, the suicide rate is dropping. Hmm. Now, in other parts of Kenya, they're using our script. And we've been told that the, having the talk about suicide based on our script has saved 16 lives so far. That is amazing. That is so rewarding. Wow. What's happening in America? The students who've been through the Suicide Prevention Advocate Program all of a sudden are being faced with their own adult children having a problem and being troubled. And they, and my God, Tammy wrote me and I just cried. She's like, I didn't remember all the steps, but I remembered enough. And by the end of the talk, we cried together and he agreed to get professional help. Wow. This is her son who had just become a dad, couldn't handle whatever the mental and emotional demons he was dealing with. And his child was at risk of growing up without a father, but he agreed to get some help. So whatever intervention, whatever help, this is not a time for tough love. This is not when you tell your kid to suck it up, buttercup. There is not that in this world because the consequences of not being there, not being willing to help your kid have a voice, listening without judgment. And trust me, we train people how to listen without judgment. Why? Because none of us were raised with that. So we teach you how to listen without judging. Why? Because when you can actually hear what someone is saying and not try to protect yourself from it, they'll get that they can trust you. And if they feel like they can trust one other person, they just might stay a little longer. Beautiful. That's so wraps up this whole conversation. It's so beautiful. It's like art, really like art. Jackie, thank you. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for her heart and soul. Thank your daughters from us, the mental health advocates. We are going to remind the audience the day of your TEDx, when it's going to come out. We're going to give a little clip shout out because everybody's going to want to watch Jackie on stage. We won't want to miss it. So stay tuned for the first week of April, but we're going to give like a five minute reminder on our podcast. Now that you know Jackie, now that you you join you want to join the society. I want to join the society, right? I want to join the society. It's, it's, it's I'm going to send people that way because it's so needed, and I'm so grateful for what you created, you and your daughters. And I can't wait to see a year from now the changes that are happening in the world as an outcome of your hard work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I ask my guests always. Uh, one last question. What does hope mean to you? Oh, I had a love-hate relationship with that word. <laughs> for a long time, for me, hope was the last of the evils that was in Pandora's box mm. because people were hoping that things would get better and not taking action. And then I ended up in this realm and I realized that hopelessness is the last stage before someone takes action and ends their life. So a little bit of hope 
can keep someone here just a little bit longer. And this is why we adopted Teaspoons as our logo, TSPS, Teen Suicide Prevention Society, The Suicide Prevention Show, that's my summit. The Suicide, we've got, it all comes down to teaspoons because as Mary Poppins said, just a spoonful of sugar. It's what turns bread and water into tea and cakes. It's just a little bit. And that's what makes people stay. And that's what we're about is just a little bit. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, that was fantastic. I love that. And I love that you you sang that Mary Poppins part. Thank you so much, Jackie. Are you on social media that people can find you? I am on social media. I'm Gypsy Jackie in my personal profile on Facebook. I'm Jackie Simmons, Success Journey Academy. Success is a game. You can find a lot of resources at the Suicide Prevention Movement. That's our YouTube channel where you could find all the people that we've interviewed, including where your interview is going to end up. Okay. Thank you so much. This is powerful. And thank you for your time. And you're standing this whole time. I'll let you grab a seat. And uh, we can't wait to hear your TEDx talk come out in the next few weeks. Thank you for joining us, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time.